Hey everyone, welcome to episode 152 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, uh, as always previously, <laughs> is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. Hey Chris. So we got kind of a big announcement today. Yeah, it is a big announcement. So I, wanted you, I mean, you want to sort of break this one for everybody? Sure. Um, so I have decided to take a step away from magic. And part of that is going to be stepping away from this podcast as well. So this is my last episode for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely from over here, like pretty mixed emotions about this. Right. I I mean, I am so excited for you. I'm really (laughs) glad because, you know, know, your plan is to go back to school. Right. And I think that that's what you should be doing, Mm -hmm. especially because you think that's what you should be. No, yeah, for sure. You know, and I have a lot of thoughts about it as well, um, and I guess I'll get, I'll get into all of that, and, yeah. and you can certainly tell me what you think, but the new just atmosphere of everything happening, mm-hmm. mainly COVID and quarantine and no tournaments, has really changed my relationship with Magic. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it was really eye-opening for me to recognize myself stepping away from Magic. I just wasn't playing really any mm-hmm. for the past several months. Yeah. And... In some ways, that was really freeing for me and allowed me to just kind of be a little more in control about what I spent my time and thoughts on. <laughs> right, because when you have a tournament every every other weekend or so, like yeah. you're, it's so hard to take a step back and right. like look get some perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Whatever it was, I just wasn't really driven to it anymore, and I think that probably meant that it was more the gathering element of everything mm-hmm. that was the big driving factor for me. I loved traveling to tournaments and seeing the people and yeah. hanging out. It was amazing. And it was an incredible time. And But that's just, I'm just not getting that out of Magic anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that my relationship with the game itself hasn't been the most healthy. Yeah. So it's been good to notice that. And then that essentially allowed me to put some more effort into just thinking about where I'm headed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I want for myself and my future plans and I think I've just recognized that the next step for me needs to be getting a degree. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, like, that's the barrier that our society has put up. Like, that's the ticket to entry into most yeah. of the stuff that you can do. And Right. Uh, like, <clears throat> I can't sit here and say that it's a great system. Oh, yeah. And for a long time, I was very resistant to that system because mm-hmm. it is it is not a good system no. in my mind and i you know i resisted it for the longest time and and uh and and rejected it for you know but it i have realized that it is just a necessary thing mm-hmm. a necessary feather to put in your hat in yeah. order to do a lot of the things that, that i probably want to do in the future mm-hmm. so now is as good a time as any i think yep yeah it it definitely the the system is built in a weird way that asks you to do some very specific stuff that you know a lot of people aren't in a position to do mm-hmm. and it sucks yeah but all you can do is just kind of figure out the best thing for yourself and operate within the system as much as you must so right yeah so yeah you know and and also i think that just taking a step away from magic is really going to allow me to explore just what i want to be doing with my time one thing I want to make sure that I do is have some agency in deciding what I want to do with my time. Mm-hmm. Because magic for me, you know, it was what I decided to do and what I decided to commit my time into. But eventually that kind of spiraled into something that I 
almost felt trapped in mm-hmm. in some ways where I was like, okay, this is what I have. Yeah. Is this, you know, is this magic thing? And, <laughs> and, and I loved it, but in, in a lot of ways, when that attachment to the game kind of wore off, I, it just wasn't doing what it needed to do for me anymore. Yeah. And you're left without mm-hmm. easy escape plans if right. you're, if you're this locked into the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and especially when you're just spending so much of your time prepping for the next tournament and then traveling to the tournament and then recovering <laughs> from the tournament you just played. Yeah, and you know, and that was 2019 for me. Mm-hmm. Is I was grinding. Yeah, and and I had a goal, and it was nice to have a goal, mm-hmm. and it gave me direction, and it made me, you know, figure out how to manage my time, and I did it, and I I think I accomplished that goal for the most part. You know, I qualified for the player championship and all that stuff. And it was, I think that was a really excellent experience for me just because it showed me that I could set goals and accomplish them. Mm-hmm. And I hope to continue doing that. Uh, I just know that my next goals are not going to involve magic. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. Do you know, I mean, do you want to share anything about like what you're aiming for, what you want to accomplish? I think that going back to college is going to be uh, mostly ex- an exploration mm-hmm. for the for the first part of it. <laughs> uh, I you know I certainly have like things that I lean I'm leaning towards right now. Uh, mainly psychology mm-hmm. is something I want to lean into a little bit, and I've been considering doing some sort of medical pursuit. Sure, but I don't really want to commit to anything quite yet. I mostly want to take a, a diverse array of classes and see what Definitely. sticks. For sure. In. I would definitely, I don't have a ton of advice for you there. I think you just got to feel things out for yourself. One thing that I will say is, I know your plan is do community college Mm -hmm. until you get your associates and then head back, head to university Mm -hmm. to get the the four-year degree. It might be a little weird to think about because you are older than other people who will be, you know, at university and also you won't have been there the whole time. Mm -hmm. I would really encourage you to think about living on campus yeah. when you are, you know, technically a junior or whatever, okay. because that just helps you be more involved in the thing instead of going to school, like then you are a university student, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's really smart. And it has been something I've been thinking about mm-hmm. is that like, I, my social network is, is through magic and I hope to maintain those relationships for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still want to be involved with the people that I love in the community, Mm -hmm. but it, I have been thinking about like, wow, if I'm making this transition, like who am I going to interact with every day? And like, I need to make sure that my time is still filled with people because people are important. Mm -hmm. So I think that is good advice. And I, I do hope to do that once it is feasible to do so yeah i mean there are barriers there and, <laughs> and right the, you know with covid yeah it just doesn't really seem certain like a possibility yeah but i mean hopefully we get a vaccine in place and, and and things can safely i know our universities are just kind of straight up opening back up in north carolina mm-hmm. which i think is just <laughs> incredibly just so dangerous and irresponsible yeah. No, I agree. I I have chosen to take all online classes. Yeah, for the foreseeable next year or two. Smart. But I I am only two semesters away from being able to transfer back to a four year cool. university. So once those are up, I mean that'll be a year from now. We'll we'll see what things look like. Fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I you know my experience and you know I lived on campus my freshman and sophomore years mm-hmm. of college. And that was just a big part of me being involved. You know, I 
my community when I was at university was I ran club cross country and track. Mm-hmm. And so those were my friends. Those are the people that I spent a ton of time with. But it was really cool to just like, you know, get back from classes, hang out with people in my dorm who I'm friends with, uh, head over to cross country practice with, you know, the person who lived in my dorm and later right. I, I, you know, lived with a team member and we just like put on our running shorts and jog over to the track for practice. And then we would all go to the dining hall after practice. And like, I kept uh, a meal plan all four years mm-hmm. because my routine was go to practice, practice, get all you know sweaty and gross and tired and hungry, and then go to the dining hall with the team and honestly just hang out in the dining hall for like two, two and a half hours. Right. Cause those were my friends and that, that was like the best part of the day. Yeah. And, uh, it may not be living on campus necessarily is the thing that that helps you find your community. I I think that finding your group when you're there is <laughs> yeah. is really huge. Yeah. And if you can find good people who are fun and smart and want you want to be around, mm-hmm. then that'll make your experience a good one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I did have a semester at Chapel Hill mm-hmm. and I had that for yeah. the most part. It's like I just found my core group and it was just my sweet mates. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just the people in the dorm that I was living in and we bonded and (laughs) we spent pretty much every second together and (laughs) it was great. And I, you know, I I really loved that for sure. So I I do hope to fall back into something like that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like how this affects, you know, the podcast and stuff, obviously, you know, we've, we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. And certainly my first priority is that you... (laughs) do the things that you need to do for your future right it's you know sad to lose you because i really enjoy doing this with you yeah i've enjoyed it as well and if you know kind of the only reason that i want to step away from this is because i don't want magic to occupy space Mm -hmm. for me and it's hard to come on to the it's hard to have this obligation of coming onto the podcast and Mm -hmm. talk about magic without having done the research without without just being invested in it yeah Yep. Um, it you know I I am gonna be sad to not be recording, but right. Everything that goes along with it is just stuff that you don't want to be focusing on. Exactly. Yeah, right. and and I think that is a a good decision. Mm-hmm. And so you know, definitely sad to not be doing this with you because this has been good, and I I think that we've created something pretty cool here. Um, my plan is to keep the podcast going, though. Um, uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so Lee has agreed to be the co-host of the MTG Grindcast going forward. Perfect. I mean, we never just de- defined like this is not a host and co-host thing. It's co-host and co. So so yeah, Lee yeah. has Lee is going to step in, and uh, we're going to do it together for you know as long as it is fun to do, mm-hmm. and keep talking about magic for everybody. <laughs> so that will not get interrupted, and uh, you know. I'm really glad that you are moving on to your next step and that you're excited about what's going to happen. And yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be big changes for me. Yeah. For sure. And I, I, as we're recording this, I still need to make an announcement for leaving the team and everything. Like, it's all done already internally. But sure. I do need to make the, the public-facing announcements that I'm stepping down and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be time, but there you have it. Yeah. I've got some stuff going on too. We are. I'm looking into buying a house potentially. I'm applying for a new job that will still be at the Court of Appeals. Oh, cool! But will be a more permanent position with better pay and stuff that will help me potentially buy a house. And <laughs> the goal is definitely, you know, if, if 
it depends on how a lot of stuff breaks down, but mm -hmm. the goal is to buy a house so that I can make it into the place that I want to be, turn one of the rooms into a recording, a production studio, yeah. you know, turn one of the rooms into a gym and just have this be my little, like, place where good things happen. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, of course, you are welcome there <laughs> at any time. Yes. So. And I appreciate that. Whatever I am working on in Magic or anything like that, you are always welcome to be a part of. Excellent. Also, I'm going to be checking up on you. <laughs> so it's so <laughs> good. I, it's so hard to ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm sure you're going to do great, but I'm definitely going to be at least messaging you and knocking on your door a little bit just to, you know. I, I'm happy to hear that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. For sure. Yeah. Then I guess we can talk about some magic stuff for the last time on yeah, the podcast. I mean, you know, I was a part of the uh, Invitational that mm -hmm. we just ran. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about I mean, it. We, we watched a full day of magic. A <laughs> uh, bunch of really good players. Yes. A bunch of really good matches, uh, kind of alternating between standard and historic. We had 12 players, and top bracket was all standard. Take a loss, you get knocked down to the bottom bracket where you play historic take a loss in historic you're knocked out of the tournament mm -hmm. we cut to top four and then we played some best of three best of three matches in the top four and definitely watched more historic than <laughs> i probably have total before yeah uh, i watched some streams and stuff but yeah it was a lot of historic for sure and it was it was pretty sweet to watch it was kind of sad that it wasn't that diverse in the format <laughs> yeah. we had two archetypes in historic, mainly. Yeah, two broad archetypes. And yeah, there's like, there's Bant, Nexus, and Simic Nexus, but mm -hmm. that, they're both Nexus. Yeah. And then there was the Gruul aggro decks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think the Bant Nexus decks are definitely. I mean, yeah, we can just sort of talk about, like, that was our metagame, is, is those decks. Right. As far as Nexus choice goes, Bant definitely seemed just like the better deck. Yeah. I was. Looking at the metagame, I think that the Simic Nexus players were in a really bad spot. Mm -hmm. I think that their matchup against the Bant versions of Nexus were really bad for two reasons. Teferi yeah. and Dovin's Veto. Yep. Those cards are just crippling in that matchup. And I think that because the Simic versions don't have access to any sort of uh, sweeper effects, mm -hmm. their matchup against the aggressive decks is also a lot worse. Yeah. So... They were the, the two other decks in the format were Gruul, an aggressive deck that they didn't have Wraths for, and uh, Bant, which they were behind because of the cards that I mentioned. Right. And I think it's a pretty easy, it's pretty easy to see how this developed. Mm -hmm. I think building Simic Nexus is your, that's the default way that you would build a Nexus deck if you were just in a vacuum putting together a 75 or, yeah. or even a 60. It's right. just. All the Search for Escantas, Wilderness Reclamations, just make it easy to go off with Nexus of Fate. Right. But then you have to take your opponent's cards into account at some point. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the Bant deck is just very specifically like playing cards that are good against the decks that you want to play against. When you're putting together your Nexus Goldfish deck, you don't put Wrath of God in it mm -hmm. until the format tells you like, hey, you better have Wrath of God in your deck, actually. <laughs> right. So, yeah, Bant Nexus, definitely the mana suffers some you take a little more pain off of your lands yeah i mean and we saw robert stanley definitely struggle multiple times mm -hmm. with just a bunch of blast zones and not enough white sources or whatever the problem was there, right. was there were man issues right there was a moment where nick price was facing down just 
you know, a ton of power on the board from the mm-hmm. Gruul deck going into his fourth turn and his lands were a, a, a white land, like a temple garden or something and two blast zones. And because his third land that he played was just a blast zone and pass, it was very clear that he didn't have the second white source in hand, unless yeah. he was really trying to game. But <laughs> like, you know, since the land that he ended up playing on turn four was a shock land. Right. Like that's, it doesn't, you he, need, he needed to rip one there. <laughs> right. And and he even paused and said hello before his draw step to indicate <laughs> like, that. this whole tournament is basically on this draw step. So <laughs> yeah. And he hit it. It, yep. was, it was great. Yeah. He hit it. And the, the power of shatter the sky really was shown a number of times in this tournament. Mm-hmm. And also in that Bant deck, just having access to both Teferi's is really huge. Both yeah. Time Raveler and Hero of Dominaria oh, yeah. were incredible. It was just Teferi time. Yeah, there was, was, there was a, a, some points where there were just four Teferi's on the board. Yeah. On each side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the way that those blue and white Teferi's can, you know, are just huge problems for a lot of decks, but also they just give you outs to problematic permanence. Like, Cindervines isn't great against the deck because of Uro, which is one thing that we saw, mm-hmm. and it's also not great against the deck because a lot of times, like, Teferi can come down and tuck it, and then you don't have to worry about it for a while, and that just really neutralizes its effectiveness. And having Hero of Dominaria in your deck allows for some really jukey sideboard plans where that's really your the game that you're playing. I know that was a big part of Robert Stanley's plan in the mirror was just not really being a Nexus deck anymore. Taking out all of his Nexuses, taking out uh, like Wilderness Reclamations and stuff, and just like having counter spells and Planeswalkers. And, and that's a good combination if your yeah. Planeswalkers are good against them. Yeah, I was really impressed with that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it worked out pretty well. There were some spots where it was looking a little dicey when he like fell behind on board to a draw rail yeah. and stuff like that. Maybe you need to like make sure that you have enough wraths or whatever to clean up whatever other stuff is going on. But yeah, I mean, overall the plan looked phenomenal and it was able to carry him to some pretty decisive and key victories in yeah. the mirror. And he won the tournament. So. <laughs> that was it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joel Rail was a cool card. It showed up in a lot of lists. Yeah, I was really impressed. Both in standard and historic, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it lined up really nicely against specifically what Stanley was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking before the tournament, like, and looking... Or we were talking during the tournament, and we saw his sideboard plan that was pretty much just like, get rid of the top end stuff, take out the removal, put in counter spells, and be a counterspell planeswalker deck. The one thing that we were like, I wonder, you know, are you too vulnerable to them just like putting a search for us content into play sure. on turn two right. on the play? But at least Mystical Dispute can deal with that. But Joel Rail does not get Mystical Disputed. No, yeah. And if it gets backed up by just like making a cat a turn for a couple of turns and then activating right it'll kill you pretty quickly yeah and and we definitely saw that play out and not only does it kill you really quickly with the activations but also being able to threaten the planeswalkers on the board mm-hmm. is pretty huge yeah like teferi little teferi is just such a huge element of these mirrors because when you're keeping in wilderness reclamation and trying to like go off and do things on your instep that's just a card that can stop that mm-hmm. and when you just have like a bunch of tutus around to be able to pressure the teferi yeah uh, it definitely adds a whole other element to the game yeah and and the card was a lot of games turned on either an activation that was lethal mm-hmm. or the person playing against the joel rail having to make plays considering the fact that Oh, if I just, like, tap out here, my opponent can just tap six lands and deal lethal damage to me. Yeah. 
very spooky. Yeah. Off from just a two drop and then playing your normal game plan. <laughs> Crazy. And it goes particularly well, which we saw a little more in Standard than Historic, obviously, but it goes particularly well with Nissa Lands and Hydroid Crisis, which are zero zeros with plus one plus one counters. Yes. So she just pumps them equal to the number of cards in your hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen somebody die so fast from a Hydroid Crisis. Just like, it was just a 4-4, four, four, and then all of a sudden it yeah, was an 8-8. Eight, eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, and you, you identified that card early on. As... Yeah, I, I definitely picked it out early as something that I was impressed with yeah and so happy to see that play out yeah funny that they give this like kind of clearly blue red effect to just a green card yeah but yeah it does make it fit really you know these decks that are like growth spiral uro opt chemisters insider you know it's just so easy all your cards trigger joel rail it's a fairies <laughs> do it yeah like, yeah the band deck that we were looking at we were just like counting all the cards that were in the previous version of the deck already mm -hmm. that just worked perfectly with Doriel. Yeah. Just Uro, Teferi, Ghost Spiral, just uh, all the stuff. Yeah. New Teferi um, definitely also showed up in the standard part of our tournament as well. Yeah. You know, good with Doriel, but also just great on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ghost Spiral into that thing, and it is a very real early thing. If you Ghost Spiral into Teferi on the play, it's not dying to combat damage, mm -hmm. and you're just going to be able to do a lot of work with it. And when you are a deck with Uro in it, a deck that can use its graveyard and then you know you just have cards that are good in different situations and you can just adjust your land to spell ratio to be correct and find the things that you need uh and also threaten an ultimate like they have to keep attacking it mm -hmm. they have to do something about it because if you ult you're gonna probably win the game <laughs> right so yeah. uh yeah it, it definitely looked pretty good in yeah. a lot of spots yeah, I you know, and it's just hard to wrap my mind around what it actually looks and feels like to be able to activate a planeswalker twice in a turn cycle. Mm -hmm. I was blown away by how big of a difference that made. Right, and just having that phase ability, like ready to go mm -hmm. on your opponent's turn, means that a bunch of stuff that they could do otherwise, they just kind of can't do until they get that to ferry off of the board. Right. They yeah, it restricts their game plan a lot, mm -hmm. but you just never have to do it. Right. You just loot every time. Right. Right. <laughs> it's just the fact that it exists is huge. Like you can never use a Domri's ambush to kill a Teferi. Right. You just get your creature phased and the Domri's ambush gets countered. Yeah. Or however, I don't know how it actually... I guess it probably gets countered because... No legal target. Yeah, I, yeah. however it works. So yeah, that, that card definitely impressed. And, and I definitely want to explore it some more going forward. It definitely looked the best just in Bant because you just have Grow Spiral and it dovetails really well with the plans. Mm -hmm. And Joel Rail was impressive in that deck too. Yeah, so, you know, Bant... <laughs> a lot of players just chose to play Bant in both formats. It was certainly... Something yeah. that was uh, just very dominant over the the recent history of magic, which is <laughs> historic and, and standard. These decks shared a lot of cards. They all had a bunch of gross spirals and Uros and the same lands and right. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one of our players chose to play Gruul in both formats. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah, Gavin. Yeah, and kind of broke it a little bit. That standard Gruul deck, when you're drawn pretty good, mm -hmm. it is really good. I Yeah, I mean, Gruul's not something I had in my radar at all for standard. Mm -hmm. It's like, standard is these other decks. Yeah. <laughs> and and then Gavin was just like, all right, Gruul both formats, and easily cruised our top bracket into the... Into the right. 
He did not he have a buy. He was one of our winners, right? Yes, yes. He was in our winner's bracket. He didn't have a buy. He was our 12th seed because he didn't, he made it without top eighting any of our yeah. tournaments. And yeah, just kind of walked through the standard portion of the event without having to go play historic. And yeah, his his standard gruel deck was pretty much just like all of the haste creatures in standard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And every time we watched him play, he was just crushing people. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't matter what they were playing. He was just like, all right, you know, attack you a bunch, get wrathed, kill you anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Skargan Hellkite and Questing Beast are very good wrath follow-ups. So. Yes. Right. Yeah. Really phenomenal. The historic gruel deck is also very impressive, mm-hmm. just in that it can have crazy opening draws. You know, Burning Tree Emissary is quite a card, even without a Bushwalker available. Yeah. Just all of your twos, you can play off of it. And it even helps sometimes when your mana isn't being super cooperative. You can get your double greens or double reds out of it, it you know, it, it because the lands are just not great even in historic yeah and uh we definitely saw some pretty wild gruel draws i'm just (laughs) remembering a goblin ruin blaster out of steven dykeman oh yeah no that was that was very nice uh, that that one was against stanley and it's just like stanley made his second land drop and then lost his first land drop (laughs) (laughs) yeah on the draw with wrath and with with shadow the sky and no growth spiral and Mm. it was just like the biggest possible punish for right. that draw. The the Ruin Blaster resolved, and there was just absolutely no way for Stanley to win that game. Right. So yeah, I mean, you know, definitely some some cool calls from from Gavin, and then uh, also like this just the storyline of Gavin being known for a like blue control player yeah. only. Yeah. And then shows up with the double double gruel and gets rewarded for it too. Yep. Zan, Zan was I was talking with Zan about this, and he was really happy. He was like, I love it. When, like, a player makes a good choice that's, like, outside of their comfort zone, and then their deck kind of rewards them for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it would suck to switch to Gruul, and then you, you like, get Wrathed, and then you're just top-decking Pelt Collectors, and mm-hmm. it's like, yep, shouldn't have done this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is how interesting just, like, your actual tournament day can can warp your perspective <laughs> of your choices. <laughs> that's just a very, very real thing. There's a great moment where Gavin kept a Primal Might, the fight spell, the X. Ex- Fight spell. Oh, yeah. Kept Primal Might on top of his library when there was a four mana Teferi in play, mm-hmm. which makes that spell just kind of not castable. Yeah. Uh, and then just got the game into a spot where there was one blocker. He had one dorky creature, like an ooze or something like that. And then Primal Might is the only thing that could give him lethal there. Three turns later, just cast it, kill your blocker, make my guy lethal. Yeah. Swing in for a bunch. Whereas prior, we were like, this top didn't make any sense. Like, yeah. this, what is this card doing? Like, it's not going to do anything. But then that's uh, just the only card that could have won him in that yeah. spot. <laughs> so he looks like a genius. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we would be remiss... Talking about this tournament, if we didn't talk about Nick Price some. Yes. Who, Nick lives in the Philippines. I, I interviewed him. Uh, super cool guy. Like, loves, actually kind of hates playing Magic is one <laughs> thing that he, he told me. Oh, yeah? Is that well, during, he's been doing quite a lot of it lately. I know. But he says that, like, during tournament Magic, he's just, like, kind of stressed out the whole time. Mm-hmm. But he likes winning a lot, so uh, that makes up for it. Well, it sounds like he's been having a good time recently. Though. Yeah. He made the finals of the Star City qualifier on 
Saturday, and then he made the finals of our Invitational on Sunday. What a heater. So, just doing fine. And playing the finals at, like, 6 a.m. his time, after playing the tournament all through the night. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Doing it from the Philippines, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, really, the the time zones really mess you up. I think he said he got, like, an hour of sleep Mm -hmm. that weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. But, you know, who needs sleep when you're just winning magic? Yeah, clearly. That'll give you the adrenaline you need. Not necessary. (laughs) So definitely congratulations to him on a hell of a weekend. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Really, really cool. I know that uh, Abe Stein got knocked out of our tournament Mm -hmm. and then just immediately started playing like a challenge or something. And I think he top-aided that, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think that he actually ended up playing Stanley's Mono Black Standard deck in that challenge. Cool. Just like... I'll play something else. Yeah. And then, yeah, apparently Stanley's... So the story from the tournament is in round one, Stanley lost with mm-hmm. his standard deck and then was pushed into the bottom bracket and was able to win out from there. Mm-hmm. So we all kind of assumed that this mono black deck was just not great. But when we saw it play out in the finals, it was really impressive. Yeah. Um, so And I think that that deck was a lot better than we were giving it credit for. Yeah, I, 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 it definitely did something special. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was playing against Nick. He won the first match. And so that meant Nick gets to choose either the format or he get, or Nick gets to be on the play. Yeah. So Nick chose the format. He chose standard, probably thinking, like, I can beat this black deck. But the problem is that the black deck is an aggressive deck. This is a Knight of the Ebon Legion deck. Mm-hmm. And in order to get to standard, you have to give Stanley the play. Right. And that black deck is pretty happy to be on the play. Yeah. Uh, it's not joking around with like meta cards or like mm-hmm. things to protect itself, really. Right. You know, we talked about how like Kite Cell Freebooter is a great way to lead into Spawn of Mayhem. Sure. But it's kind of a, an anemic card that right. sometimes just is bad. Yeah. And so Stanley's deck is just playing like creatures with power and removal spells <laughs> and demonic embrace. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's the recipe, yeah. you know, just like trying to get there through all that. Yeah. And, and watching it play out in the finals, I was definitely really impressed. I think that that was probably his worst matchup mm-hmm. is playing against Bant, mm-hmm. just mid range, because Bant's going to have a lot of tools and is like hoping to play this grindy game that yeah. Monobuck doesn't really want to play. And Shatter is just pretty good against yeah. the deck with a bunch of twos and threes. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so I, I was definitely concerned about that matchup for him, but he was just able to prove that he had a lot of resiliency mm-hmm. and, yeah, just had some really, really powerful curves that were uh, hard to keep up with. Yeah. There was a, a point where he got shattered, mm-hmm. had nothing in hand. Right. The shattered drew him his fourth land, and then his draw step was Stone Coil Serpent. Yeah. And that Stone Coil Serpent pretty much just went all the way. Yeah. <laughs> it got a hit in, yeah. and then a, a, a turn or two later, just mm-hmm. got demonic embraced. And right. there's no way to stop that in the Bant deck, really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just dodges everything out of Bant. Mm-hmm. And I actually remember there, I think for a Pro Tour uh, a while back, when Bant was a really popular strategy, um, Stone Cold Serpent was this, like, technology w- that one of the pro teams came up with mm-hmm. against Bant, just because Bant had no answers to it. Yeah. Like, you can't hit it with Teferi, it ignores Uro, you can't Elspeth Conquers Death it, just mm-hmm. like all of their ways of interacting, it just completely overrides. Right. Them protection of multicolored and being a zero drop (laughs) there's a very like narrow band of stuff that like teferi isn't great against and elspeth Mm -hmm. isn't great against and can be 
like leveraged against wrath in a against shatter the sky in a way that is effective it's not very many cards that can kind of run that gauntlet right and certainly stone call serpent gets wrath but you can at mm-hmm. least give it four power on its own or it's a fine follow-up to to shatter the sky yeah and so it, it walks that line pretty nicely um so yeah super impressed with with that card mm-hmm. um just in the band matchup in general and i think that was probably like just one of his saving graces in that matchup because the rest of the matchup on paper seems pretty bad for yeah. a, a mono black beatdown strategy pretty bad i definitely am kind of bummed i did want to see that mono black deck play some games against gavin's gruel deck just because the oof, there's so many removal spells post board. I, I mean, I did want to just like just to watch it play out, but it does not seem like it's going to be good for cruel. Yeah, <laughs> just noxious grasps and grasp of darkness. The one thing that Gavin had really going for him in that matchup, though, mm-hmm. was that Gavin registered four Skargan Hellkites. Yeah, and if you put a plus one plus one counter on that, like none of the removal, even though he, Stanley's running all of the playable black removal somewhere in the main right. of the board, none yeah. of that hits Skargan Hellkite. So yeah, for sure, it dodges pretty much most of the things there. Yeah. Um, I, I think it dodged actually all of Stanley's removal spells. Doesn't get yeah. hit by Eliminate, Grasp of Darkness, uh, uh, Noxious Grasp. Obviously, doesn't hit a red creature. So yeah. that I I kind of wanted to see the like Skargan Hellkite versus <laughs> Just the world. Invincible Skargan Hellkite. Yeah, because the activation on the Skargan Hellkite with a counter on it mm-hmm. really good in that matchup. Just yeah, kills all the small things. And then, yeah, the, just the, the, the five-power flyer would right. be a huge threat. Yeah, definitely. One card that I was thinking of that could also be really good in that matchup was the um, the Gargaroth. Mm-hmm. But that one just gets hit by Noxious Grasp. Yeah. So yeah. You, there are just Doom Blades that can kill that one. So. Yeah, that is really playing that, like, Baneslayer Angel mm-hmm. downfall thing. We did we saw one Elger, Elder Gargaroth game in the Gruul versus Gruul matchup. I think we saw one game where it came down and it was unbeatable. Right. And another game where it came down and died to Domri's ambush. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, there definitely was some uh, some Gargaroths going on. Dylan registered kind of a bigger Gruul deck that was yeah. equipped for the... really well equipped for the mirror. I think Dylan was likely expecting just a, a lot of mirrors mm-hmm. in, in that format and was not expecting quite as many uh, Nexus decks. Because... If if he was up against like the metagame that you would find on ladder, mm-hmm. it's just all gruel and then the occasional next deck. Right, because people hate playing next. Right, yeah, and I I do think that's the main factor is that on ladder you just kind of want to play what you enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. You like if you're laddering, you're playing so much magic. But in this tournament, playing to win, I think people will just kind of realize that yeah, nexus, Bant nexus is just the best deck. Yeah. Yeah, also on ladder, it's, like, really inefficient to play decks that have, like, 40-minute matches. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really difficult to rank up. Oh, that's fair. Right. Like, you can take a reasonable win rate hit if your matches take half as long, mm-hmm. and, and you're actually more efficient at laddering that way. That's interesting. Um, once you are in Mythic and trying to increase your rank, since you're... You have to play good decks and play it well. Right, because right. your your MMR is all that matters. Right. And, and that... It, you can't just play an okay 55% deck that's really quick, like, then you'll get stuck at whatever MMR 55% win rate puts you at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. What else? Anything else interesting about this tournament? For, well, I, I gotta say it. Stanley was my pick to win. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you did it. If I'm gonna have a called shot, I gotta brag about it. Yeah. So there it is. <laughs> no, and, and um, Stanley clearly great. Had yeah. plan, had great plans. Yeah, Zan was prepped. <laughs> Zan came out and he was like, you guys, we have to all pick our players. <laughs> And uh, and I was like looking through the deck lists, and I was like, okay, 
um, Stanley's playing this wild mono blacklist that I have no <laughs> idea if it's good or not. And everybody else's decks are the same. So I, I guess I'll just like kind of pick the Dark Horse. And uh, and Stanley's a guy who, he you know, he puts in the work. If he's trying to win a tournament, he's going to put in the work to figure out his plans and make sure that he understands what's going on. So yeah. It seemed like a reasonable pick, and, and he did it for this tournament and, and delivered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he showed up to our standard tournament and won that just by having the better sacrifice deck. Just right leveraging fiend artisans in a way that was very good at that moment and just kind of the best lyrics deck that anybody showed up with yeah and yeah like he shows up knowing what he's doing so i i think picking him is a totally heads up thing to do especially like in a small field like this where you know you can sit down and think about like get some idea maybe of what you're going to play against and not even necessarily like identifying the player profiles of players but like figuring out like you know if you figure out that hey probably the way that people are going to approach this tournament because it's a 12-man field if you reason out like i bet a bunch of people are going to show up with nexus like Mm -hmm. way more than i'm going to play against on ladder right then that gives you a huge edge because you realize like okay gotta spend time working on my plan for the mirror Mm -hmm. I, i need to know exactly what to do and that's be on all of these counter spells and planeswalkers and don't try to nexus them don't try to wilderness reclamation them that's that's not going to be effective yeah absolutely yeah and i'm, I'm kind of remembering back to my time preparing for the players championship mm-hmm. and that was a, a majority of the effort that we put into that was trying to figure out the metagame yeah because that's just huge and just being able to like understand and know people's tendencies and know what people are going to lean towards and prepare for that Mm -hmm. i think is going to give you a huge edge so yeah if somebody had that call of yeah i expect a lot of nexus and i want to make sure that i am prepared for that Mm -hmm. then i'm sure they're rewarded yeah you you always want to be prepared for the meta of course Mm -hmm. right but in a big field you can variance yourself well outside of the meta yeah, and so playing a good deck that isn't necessarily like laser focused on anything can often be the right thing to do. Like you can show up to a modern tournament, play nine rounds, and play burn five times. <laughs> yeah, e- even though it's actually only ten percent of the field. Right. Yeah. In a small tournament like this, you can't really dodge the meta. You're gonna you, there's twelve players. You're gonna right. play against a re- relatively representative sample. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's super important to, to metagame for these small tournaments. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Stanley was able to do that. Yeah, I mean, at least whatever path led him into I want a good Nexus plan mm-hmm. <laughs> was, you know, it paid off. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, is there anything else from the from the tournament that they were missing? I'm pretty bummed that Ryan's standard deck didn't oh. play out. I was so positive that he was going to win that first game that we watched. I know. Well, he and made he, four Phoenixes. On turn four. Yeah. He made four Phoenixes on turn four. And what was he playing against? Was it just like Bant, Bant midrange? It was Teamer. It was Teamer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was Teamer Wreck. Yeah, I, when I was watching, I was commentating that with Lee, and we were like, he's got it. This is it. This is the draw. This is him doing the thing. Yeah. And then it just Every lost. Phoenix got dealt with. And, right. Yeah. And yeah, I clearly... Like, super sweet, like, mono blue dredge. Mm-hmm. Definitely lots of cool stuff going on there. I loved the maximize altitudes as yeah. a way of discarding and also getting additional spell counts to get up to three to get phoenixes back. Yeah, I mean, that card was huge. Just being able to have a, a single mana mm-hmm. hit that you can... A single mana spell that you can hit off of mills. Yeah. 
just completely changes the whole dynamic of, of like having to wait until you have the density of spells to go off. Yeah. Because it's not like it's not like modern Phoenix where you can just you know that your cantrips are gonna hit more cantrips. You're mm-hmm. you're actually pretty light on like cheap spells. Right. And and you don't draw that many cards. Yeah. So being able to like put those into your graveyard to turn your lands in your hand or your ideally your phoenixes and stuff in your hand mm-hmm. into just blue spell. Right. That triggers drown secrets and helps phoenixes come back. Like lots of really cool ideas here. But the fact that there was a game where turn four, you brought back four Arclight Phoenixes, and then they managed to deal with it, and then couldn't quite put things together to finish it off. Right. Then it's like, okay, then maybe even <laughs> at the high end of var- the variance curve right. here, it's not quite worth doing. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I think, the sad realization that I had. Um, it was so close. I know. But his draws were so good that, like, I think that on on balance, that's maybe not a place you want to be. Yeah. Ryan is definitely a player who values having a good time and enjoying the deck that you're playing Mm -hmm. and creativity really highly. Yeah. So, you know, ideally, he would have won matches with that deck and it would have been really cool. But, you know, he he came to play Magic and have fun playing Magic. Yeah. And it showed off some cool Mm -hmm. stuff and and cool ideas. Right. Uh, Kind of a fun little behind the scenes is that we actually... The way that our setup is in the other room, putting on streams live, we have to have like one Twitch stream and then one stream through the Discord. Mm-hmm. And Ryan was the only Twitch streamer that we were keeping up with at a certain point in the tournament. So we just like had his stream up and we were just watching him like put together Dragonstorm yeah. Modern, <laughs> yeah. just like throughout the tournament. Like once he died from our tournament, he was just like having a good time playing yeah. things that were fun. And that was awesome. Yeah, and that was just, like, I think he recognized, like, ooh, Terror of the Peaks makes, like, you don't have to get that many dragons, mm-hmm. and you don't have to play Boggart and Hellkite in your in your Dragonstorm deck. Right, yeah. And and that was enough to make him go, I, would, I think I'll try building Dragonstorm. So, you right. know, cool just to have that level of creativity and just wanting to explore. How um, many how many Terror of the Peaks do you need for 20 damage? Is it just, is it just three? So, yeah, you only need three dragons. I think there was, I think the deck... The dragons that he was working with were like Thundermaw Hellkites and one Terror of the Peaks. So okay. you can get a Terror and two Hellkites, and that's 20. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Or you c- could just play a bunch of, yeah, Terror of the Peaks. If you get three of those, that's... Isn't that 30 that's damage? That's 30 damage, yeah. yeah. Two's only 10, though, Two's right? only 10. Okay, yeah. But it's really hard to cast Dragon Storm with a storm count of, of one. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, that's fair. Right. Yeah, you're, you're typically going to be storming for like... At least three. Yeah. I would imagine. To get to nine mana, I mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although there is the new four to seven. Right. But you still need to be at six for that to do it. So mm-hmm. you're probably casting like desperate ritual into it at least. Yeah, 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 for sure. So. Yeah. The the one thing. So I, I have actually been thinking about mill or about dredge type decks in standard. Okay. The one thing that I think is really cool is silver smoke ghoul. That's the one that comes back when you gain yeah. three life. Right. So that actually works really well with Uro. Oh, okay. So I don't think you can do it with just creeping chills. Right. Uh, I think that we saw Ryan have a really hard time getting those ghouls mm-hmm. back with it. Like, they don't keep coming back. Maybe you get them back once, but it's hard to trigger it multiple yeah. times. But if your deck is putting cards into your graveyard and you're just like kind of casting Uro, and every time you cast Uro, he brings some friends. Like, that may be a thing. I think you probably have to abandon the Phoenix part of the plan for it and be doing something different and grindier. Yeah, like, some sort of, like, turbo Uro deck Mm -hmm. that's just designed to 
put a bunch of cards in your graveyard and continue casting Uro yeah. over and over again. That that could be really good. Yeah. I mean, like, it's it's a cool thing. I think, like, right now with the power level of the format, it's not really doable. Mm-hmm. After rotation, Drowned Secrets is gone. And yeah. so it, you may just not be able to mill yourself at a reasonable rate yeah. to, to do this. And also, it just seems atrocious against Ugin ramp decks. Like, yeah. I think you just get, you lose every time an Ugin resolves. Yeah. Just let's exile those. Yeah. Back in the graveyard. So I, I, it's probably not a thing that can go anywhere given the other cards in the format. Mm-hmm. But I, I just really like it. Yeah. No, for sure. I, uh, it's always fun to see just like one of those build around me's and being like, I, I can make this work. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I could, I could do it here. Right. Yeah, like, in my head, the build currently is, like, Drown Secrets, and then you have, like, Opt, Growth Spiral, Uro. Mm-hmm. And so you're playing, like, a blue-green deck with all the good, like, rampy stuff, and you just have some discard outlet. Probably, you know, Teferi is a great discard outlet to get the, the ghouls that you draw into your graveyard and put Uro into your graveyard. Right. And then all of your spells are blue, so they trigger Drown Secrets. So, like, there's, like, the deck on paper, like, exists, but I doubt it can beat anything. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. So let's just pour all of that into like a, a different standard. And yeah, playing it's and it like a lower really power level deck. Yeah, playing that deck in a standard where it was like mono white and Golgari or, or even Sultai, mm-hmm. like playing it, uh, playing that deck in that type of format. Yeah, right. hell yeah. But then you know you're playing Uro and nobody else's is part of the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that may not be that, as fair as we want it to be. Right. <laughs> Right, it's just, it's just like the power level of this deck that includes like two absolutely broken cards in Uro and Grow Spiral is right. probably equivalent to the power level of the good decks in a standard format that didn't have either of those cards in it. Yeah, maybe even better. <laughs> so, <laughs> goodness. Yeah, this standard is, is wild. But yeah, I'm, I appreciate, you know, we've been joking about how M21 had pretty minimal impact mm-hmm. on standard yeah and we get excited when we see some of the new cards happen like Jorel is you know happy to see that show up teferi showing up is cool demonic embrace showing up is cool yeah uh past that it's just like you know eliminates a removal spell not a format changer or anything mm-hmm. so not a huge impact from the set but i think that's mostly a good thing mm-hmm. if we can you know, we need a Mercadian Masks era <laughs> right after the War of the Spark, Throne of Eldraine, Theros, yeah. Ikoria, just like nonsense that we've been through. Yeah, the, like the power level push that we've gone through. Yeah, we definitely need some sort of like reset mm-hmm. so that so that they can continue because it, it seems like they like that like upward trend of power level because mm-hmm. that's what sells cards yeah but you you just it's just not sustainable to like take that into right into the sky of just like okay everything is completely broken now we need to we need to like bring it back to a baseline so that they can continue to make things more powerful yeah you keep just climbing the mountain like eventually right. you're gonna fall off the cliff <laughs> there, yeah there you go so um, yeah, hopefully, just, right, the, the back-to-backs of, like, everything in Eldraine leading up to, like, companions happening. Mm-hmm. It's just been a long time of... And it's not just, like, mm, power level is pretty high now. It's, like, power level of a handful of individual things are so high that they make entire strategies and ways of playing magic just completely invalid. Right. Yeah. And that's what we don't want. Yeah. So. I don't know. 
<laughs> what else is going on? The uh, Star City Games oh, yeah. online tournaments that have been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about that Nick made the finals of one of those right. same weekend. Um, very cool that that's going on. I have appreciated the coverage they've been doing. Yep. And I've especially appreciated that Dom Harvey is on the coverage team. I think he's done it. it he's just a fantastic addition to yep. a, an already strong roster. Yeah, I love Dom and I'm super pumped to watch him uh, just do something he loves. Yeah. He's just kind of got, like, you know, obviously he's very smart, but he's also just, like, got that dry humor that is really helpful. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, just, like, kind of friendliness and excitement and love of the game that helps. Right. Just, yeah, a lot of a lot of respect for, for them adding him. I know they had added him a while ago, mm-hmm. but COVID made it so that he couldn't start doing this thing that he was really excited about. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, good to see that coming around full circle. Really good to see that. Yeah. And as far as, you know, one thing that I did for our invitational is I talked to as many of the players as I could, did an interview with them, and then cut those into videos, mm-hmm. um, which you and Zan helped with a couple of those. And that was, that was fun. really nice. Yeah. One thing that came up multiple times with players from more far-flung regions of the globe is that... This is actually kind of a boon for a lot of players that are not in the normal magic places. And yeah. by normal magic places, I mean places that, like, Watsi chooses to focus on. Sure. Nick was telling me, like, the Philippines actually has a really big magic community, mm-hmm. but it's it was basically impossible to queue for a PT from there. <laughs> that yeah. There's just no opportunities. Right, and that sucks. And now it, you know, time zones aside... Which is, it's relevant. If you yeah. get a job, <laughs> playing a magic tournament that starts at midnight is difficult. <laughs> yes. But time zones aside, this gives a lot more opportunities for people from Australia or Southeast Asia or, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, South America, Africa to play magic when they just couldn't have played competitive magic otherwise. Yeah. And and we've definitely seen that play out in a lot of ways where, you know, like Nick has been crushing the online series. Series, 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 correct. Is that right? Um, And uh, yeah, and then I, you know, I keep on hearing about like, oh, this person's in Australia, and Mm -hmm. this person's like there, and and that's really awesome to see because when I'm primarily playing on like the Star City circuit, that's just like the east coast of the United States. It's pretty pretty localized. And every once in a while, you'll you'll play against somebody who is on vacation or like. Once in a blue moon, somebody was like, yeah, I came out here so I could play a couple Star City events. And and that's like a, a complete shocker. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so it is it is awesome to see that because we are in now this like online community, mm-hmm. it's, it's all over the globe. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there are ways that we can make the best of this. Obviously, going to tournaments and hanging out with people is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And losing that hurts. Right. But the fact that this is there's more this is more equitable and and more people can engage and participate in these tournaments that are not fake also ran tournaments because they're literally the only tournaments now. They're the best thing we got going. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not just a secondary thing. And I think that we can also kind of create our own sort of gatherings yeah. a little bit. I just you know, our invitational was 12 players and we set up a discord and there was a reasonable amount of just chatting and I got to know a lot of these players and I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, no, that's awesome for sure. And I think that, you know, that kind of thing will 
continue to grow and, mm -hmm. and more people will be doing stuff like that. So I'm really hoping that whatever community that you're in just can grow because of the situation that we're in. Yeah. And, and hopefully that leads to the ability to like meet people from places and from groups that maybe you wouldn't have had, you know, I love going to magic tournaments, but let's be real. Like I meet a lot of people from an almost identical background to myself. Yeah. At magic tournaments. Right. And it's pretty cool that that wasn't what our invitational was. Yeah. And that's just not, you know, some of these top eights, I mean, some of these top eights look very similar to the top eights of other tournaments <laughs> that we've seen, but there's definitely just more places for people to show up who either just couldn't make it to tournaments or maybe didn't feel comfortable at tournaments. So right. there's upsides. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, probably an okay place to wrap up. I don't, I don't really have anything else to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, me neither. <laughs> um, I don't know. What do we end on? What do we end your last episode? And and you know, Collins will be back. Like I will. We'll we'll I'll make be you around. do some guest episodes every yeah, once in yeah. a while. And, and stuff. I'll probably do some some appearances on coverage in the future. Yeah, uh, as well. Yeah. Um. So you know, I'm not going away forever, <laughs> and I'll still be in discords and stuff. So sure. Um. This is this has been an incredible experience, and Chris, I honestly just have to thank you for being with me this whole time i mean couldn't you know. have, could absolutely could not have done this without you so yeah. you know that that's this was a team effort um yeah I mean, I mean it was but i i do you know i have to i have to reciprocate that and say you have a work ethic that i really admire and look up to and that is something that i am working on just in my own personal life is developing my work ethic and making sure that i can you know, get up and do the things that I need to do. And being around you has helped me a lot in that regard. Just not only just watching you just like put the time into the podcast and put the time into the coverage. Like y'all, y'all need to understand that Chris is, has been an incredible asset to everybody doing the coverage. He just puts in the work and does everything that needs to be done. And it's, it's just, it's just good to be around that. And, you know, well, I'm going to cry. <laughs> but seriously, like, you know, I, I just I just want to give you props for that and say that that's something I really admire and am looking to incorporate into my own life as well. Well, I, I thank you for that. That is honestly one of the better compliments that I've ever received. And in particular, it's because it is actually really hard for me to sit down and do work on stuff. It's a thing I've struggled with my, my entire life mm -hmm. is getting things done and choosing to do the difficult stuff rather than procrastinating or, you know, it, it's just been a really hard thing for me. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> well, that gives me hope because yeah. it is a hard thing for me well, and, and, that, and you're doing it. So that, that's awesome. That's what I do want to communicate is yeah. like, it's not an intrinsic, like, you know, I'm just a hard worker. Like I just sit down and I know I have stuff to do and eight hours later, it's all done. Like that is not <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It is a struggle every time that I have things to do and I've developed systems and I've developed ways of organizing myself that make it easier and enable myself to overcome the just intrinsic difficulty that I have 
in you know focusing and staying on task and doing things that aren't always the most fun mm -hmm. um, but it does also help when i'm working on projects that are important to me personally mm -hmm. and that i care about and really want the result to be good yeah so that certainly has been a guiding force and you know i've always wanted this podcast to be you know this was our thing so i want it to be good i'm not working on somebody else's right i'm not working for anybody on it i'm working for us yeah um and for our listeners yeah yeah and that's, you know, I think that's a good takeaway for sure. So to everybody who stuck with us for this long, <laughs> you know, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for um, those of you who have been patrons. Um, if Collins was your big draw to the show and you, you know, choose not to be a patron anymore, or if you choose to stop listening, I, that's, I understand. Like, I get it. <laughs> There's different, but, but so like every, every show, every media product has different draws to it. Uh -huh. And if you remove one of those draws, like part of your audience you know you may just not have what they were looking for anymore yeah and so you know no no shade if you choose to spend your podcast listening time or spend your patreon dollars somewhere else i totally get it but we will be maintaining the podcast pretty much as normal you know i'm going to change the picture that's up on the the patreon page and stuff like that yeah um and you if you would like to become a patron or if you'd like to still be a patron i it would be really cool. I'd appreciate that. We are going to keep podcasting. We're going to keep making stuff. I am probably going to engage while you are stepping back. I'm probably going to engage a little more in magic potentially. Awesome. I have some, some stuff I'm going to set up. I, I may start streaming. My, my idea for a stream that came to me recently is I would really like to, since all of our tournament winners are winning online tournaments, you know, just in Magic generally, not necessarily our tournaments, but right. everybody who wins a tournament has won an online tournament now. Yeah. I kind of want to start streaming and have a day where whoever like won the big tournament of the last weekend, I pay them to come on the stream and just hire them to like, I'm, I, I'd, I'm going to play your list on ladder or in a league or whatever. And I'd like for you to help me pilot this correctly and Ooh. sideboard correctly and stuff. That could be fun. So, uh, you know, just things I'm thinking about. I, I think that there's room for ideas in magic content that haven't been explored yet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that I'm stuck at home all the time gives me <laughs> some time to think about these things. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Well, I'm excited for you. Um, and I, I have no doubt that you can crush it streaming if you put the time into it. So, yeah, I'm not. I mean, that's the thing is like, where do you where do you dedicate your time? And mm -hmm. it's. Like, I have time each day that I just can't work on magic stuff because it's like, I'm I'm done. I'm fried. I like mm -hmm. I have to go play Spider-Man or read a book now. And yeah. I just can't do anything else. Or I, right. or I don't want to do anything else. And there's, I don't want to do anything else because, like, I don't want to do anything. And there's, I don't want to do anything else because, like, I'm just not feeling like that's the thing I can be doing right now. And you got to... It's so hard to figure out like what your brain is doing to you at any given time about like <laughs> getting work done and stuff. Yeah, but, man, life's 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 tough. It is really I'll tell tough. you what. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but we'll make it. Yeah, we're gonna make it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna miss you, dude. I'm gonna miss you too. But I'll be around. Yeah, and 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 hanging out, and we'll find stuff to do together. And I'm really excited for you. So. Well, thanks. You'll do great. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that.
All right. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to come, you know, say goodbye to Collins, do it on Twitter. Collins is uh, at Collins Mullen. Yep, that's me. Um, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Uh, next week, Lee will be on the show for his first episode as, well, not his first episode, but his first episode as a co-host. Um, if you want to head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast, that would be very cool. Uh, we will probably have to be kind of refiguring out what reward structure we are using in the future, but certainly all the physical rewards are going to stay the same as far as like additional bonus content stuff. Uh, you know, going to have to rework that, but we'll figure something out. That's really it. It's hard because as soon as I close out this episode, you know, we're done. So, <laughs> well, I guess I'm dragging it out. But. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, to everybody listening, uh, I, I was always blown away by your support. I, I love you all. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Um, and peace. <laughs>